Welcome everybody to the R&R CatCast, a fan-based podcast focusing on Montana State Athletics. We're two dudes named Ryan from the state of Washington talking about our dear Montana State. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back, Bobcat fans. Catch drop homecoming to an impressive Sac State team and now look in the mirror to pick up the pieces. How you do tonight, Thorny? You know, all things considering, I'm doing pretty good. Not bad. It was still a fun trip out to Bozeman for me. So even though we lost, I'm still still feel good about the weekend. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, yeah, it was a long trip for me. You got a nice easy flight. Why I had to drive six hours both ways. So I imagine you had a little easier trip back than I did. We haven't really talked since then. No, but at least you didn't have to fight Seattle traffic either way, which is in itself way worse than driving six hours on the straight easy road (laughs) (laughs) oh gosh yeah i totally forgot about that so when you get into seattle how long does it take you to get up to mount vernon flight landed at like two i didn't get home until like four but i had to stop and get gas somewhere okay all right not bad dude so let's do a little show outline and get into this uh today we're going to talk about our beer uh we're going to go in well, we're going to actually recap about Ryan and I going back to Bozeman. So we're going to talk about our experience and just kind of what it meant to us. And uh, yeah, that's going to be fun for us to wax there. Uh, we're going to talk about the news, stats stuff, and power rankings, and the press conference, obviously. And then we'll go into the game recap from our homecoming loss from Sacramento State. And then we're going to preview the bye week. And so that won't take very long. <laughs> But uh, we'll end with our special segments. We do have a golden koozie question. I have a couple buyer sells, and then we'll recap our bull predictions. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right, man. Let's get right into what we're drinking tonight. Thorny, go for it. You know, when you end up buying a Costco-sized thing of beer, which I'm not even sure how many is in it, 30, long story short, I'm still drinking my Sam Adams Oktoberfest over here. I still got like 15 of them, so <laughs> still working on those. So that's what I'm drinking right now. Still delicious, and yes, it still tastes like bread. <laughs> Malty, I like it. Oh, yeah. Tony, I'm gonna call you out, dude. You gotta, you gotta step up your beer game, man. Like this is something I think about way too much during the week. As what type of beer I'm drinking on the catcast, and it sounds like you're just sending it in. As soon as we get a sponsor, I don't have to go buy new beer every single week. How's that sound? <laughs> I don't know, man. Like if we get a sponsor for someone who's sponsoring our beer segment. And then we just drink their beer the whole time. Now, where's the variety in that? I don't know. Doesn't have to be a beer sponsor. I'm just saying. Okay. Spending money on beer every week to get a fancy beer. Speaking of which, I did end up buying that uh, Advent Calendar beer, Advent Calendar from Costco. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's like 24 imported German beers <laughs> that have an Advent Calendar, and it's like this big box, and you like poke a hole in it and slide your beer out the night before and get it cold for the next day. But my wife will let me crack it open early, so I'm not drinking any of that, apparently. So I do have some <laughs> fancy beers, but I spent $70 on it. <laughs> Jeez. All right. I used to have Advent calendars when I was a kid, you know, but they were just like little chocolates. Yeah, stale, gross chocolate, chalky chocolate. <laughs> beer is <Right>. way cooler. <laughs> well, I, I, I've never seen an adult Advent calendar. That'd be first for me. More power to you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty excited for it. I have a field to ferment fresh hop pale ale from Fremont Brewing over in your neck of the woods there in C. 
it is fresh hop season and which that means in my estimation is is i believe you have to have you need to have brewed the beer with the hops from the field within it's like 24 or 48 hours i was once told last year there is a fresh hop festival here in spokane at the perry street brewing that it's going on fairly soon but uh fremont comes out with this their their edition of this every year uh, i picked this up so delicious i'm almost done with it so uh, we'll have to crack another one here and somehow you think i'm the hipster of the two of us i'm not the one with the big beard dude in the horn rim glasses i'm not the one who drinks exclusively micro brews and talks about hops <laughs> <laughs> All uh, right, let's touche. just agree to, touche. yeah, touche, touche. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, Thorny, take us down some memory lane, man. Here, let me uh, serve this up to you. What did the trip mean to you this week as we went back? Both of you and I made the trip back to Bozeman, and just give me some thoughts on that, and we'll play off each other there for a moment. So flying in, I was pretty tired. Like I, like I said, I left at like 5 a.m., I uh, got up at like 4.15 to get out the door, drive an hour and a half down to SeaTac Airport, take a flight down to Portland, had an hour and a half layover there. They didn't fly into Bozeman until like 2.15. The, oh, my flight was delayed. So I was pretty tired. But, uh, man, as soon as those landing gear started coming down, as we got close to Belgrade, I just got like this just rush of excitement. I just started looking down there, just seeing the mountains back there. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I haven't been here so long. I just had like this flood of nostalgia and excitement. I was so excited. Like I said, I haven't been here in seven years. So it was just really exciting just flying down. Even that aspect of it just woke me up and I was just excited. And I, my whole plan was to take a nap, but I didn't take a nap. I just hit the ground running. It was a lot of fun just even flying in. What was your, did you have a similar experience as you were driving closer? Yeah, I stopped with uh, Missoula to, spend some time with my sister and I had a fun night in Missoula with her and we, it was just good to catch up. Then I got up early in that morning and then I was, I was driving down. I think it was like what you said is kind of like when you hit that Belgrade stretch and you're about five, six miles outside of Bozeman and you're just sitting there looking straight at the bridgers and all of a sudden you pull into 19th there. It's just like flooded memories of uh, school <laughs> and just being down there. And just when I got in, you know, one thing I said on Shane's hot take show was just how much I just enjoy being around Bobcat fans and just the blue and gold everywhere. And it was just so fun. It just felt like home, right? And it's not home to me, but it felt like home because it just felt like it was just comfortable. We had spent so many there, so many Saturdays there during our college career and even thereafter. But you and I, you know, have since left in. It was really fun. It is. It, just, it makes you like appreciate. You should appreciate it while you have it because you never really know how much you miss it until you're back. And it's like, holy cow, I just really miss this place and this community and this, the connection the team brings the whole community together. I just, I missed it. It was exciting to see all the Bobcat paraphernalia everywhere. Everyone wearing Bobcat gear, everyone wearing Bobcat hats. Even some people over on the flight over had Bobcat hats on. I was like, all right, this is. I don't see it very much out here. So it's a whole different world just getting back in there and just seeing Bobcat stuff everywhere. It just made me excited for the to see the community and all the people supporting the program that you and I just love so much that we started a podcast as two tired ass dads. <laughs> <laughs> right? Man, we had such a good day too. What a well, first of all, the weather. 
just amazing. Just amazing. But just such a cool experience for you and I to have some special access to just being on the field there, going up to the club level. That was something I will never forget. And it was one of the top 10 days of my life, no doubt. I mean, even though we lost, just how giddy I was just to have that experience be so close. It was really, really cool. Yeah, we got to give props to Shane Driscoll, Bill Lamberty, Lambert, and the whole just crew over at MSU for what Foley's talking about here is we got some press passes that had access to pretty much anything you'd want. So we watched the whole game from the sideline. We went back and forth between the visitor and the home side. Met a lot of the people in the press are kind of like mini celebrities. So it was pretty cool just hanging out on the sideline with those people and watching the game up close. And it was a lot of fun and a perfect football day weather-wise. Just a perfect day for football. Just one last thought. It was really clear to me how much Bobcat football has grown. Because when you're standing down there and you see those packed stadium, that packed stadium and just the amount of people that are still outside, just around that stadium, it is unreal. No, the tailgate area has grown even immensely since I was last there, 2013 or whenever it was. I can't even remember, to be honest with you. But just the amount of people, the size and scope of it, it's definitely grown. And it's pretty cool to see. And just contrasting that when you and I were in school and early Kramer years, you were lucky to get like 12,000 people in the stadium. <laughs> yeah, that was a good Saturday. Holy cow. Yeah, I remember the Furman playoff game. There wasn't even 10,000 people there. Still one of the loudest venues I remember, but... Yeah, it's just crazy to see how far it's come. Thorny, right now, are we going to go next year? Yeah, we should try and make this an annual thing. I'd say maybe not homecoming, but pick a game out and go every single year for sure. Nice. Yeah, I'd say let's uh, switch it up. How about maybe Gold Rush? Oh, yeah. that I, I actually buy a Gold Rush shirt every single year from Universal Athletic. I pay for shipping and I pay like $22 for the whole thing, but I buy one every single year just because and I wear it for the Gold Rush game and... That's just another way for me to feel connected to the team. Well, we will definitely go back. This next year, I'm going to fly, though. No more. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Probably probably like a 45-minute flight from Spokane. Come on. Yeah, I know, right? That, that will save me quite a bit. <laughs> All right, man. Let's move on to some news. The Cats moved down from number 6 to number 12. What do you think of that? You and I ask this question pretty much every week so far this season. It, well, since we were in the top 10. Are yeah. we a top 10? We go, we like waffle back and forth. Like sometimes like, all right, yeah, we actually look like a top 10 team. <laughs> I think for the most part, you and I have kind of had the consensus that we're not entirely convinced that we were a top 10 team. So to see us get bumped out of the top 10, honestly, I thought we might even fall further than 12. But I mean, 12 sounds about right, but I'm a little surprised. I thought we'd fall a little farther than that, getting just kind of beat by that score at home against a technically unranked team. But I think that had a lot of, votes and respect throughout the country, but still an unranked team in a, at home is not a good look for the poll. So the unranked team was technically number 26, not yes. number 25. So it's one out. So I guess the the cool part about this conversation right now is like, let's talk about Sac State. They are at 15. So good question to you is Sac State took us to the woodshed in many ways. Do they deserve to be ahead of us? This is a question that it, I've never seen a season where the poll has been so hotly debated on Twitter and message boards and radio shows and podcasts. Everyone's has their own vision of what the poll should be and everyone's complaining about it. Everyone's calling out everyone else for not voting the way that they vote. The way I see it personally is if you had a team that started pretty low, way down your radar, 
and one team that started pretty high on your radar, that team that uh, what basically I don't think you can jump really more than like 15 spots any direction. So if Sac State on your radar was like the 30th ranked team, like you weren't even giving them votes, and yeah, they beat the 6th ranked team, can you bump someone from completely unranked all the way to like the top 15 over the team that was number 6 who th- theoretically shouldn't fall more than 16th or 17th? in my opinion. So it's, it's fair to have Sac State above us and I have no problem if they were, but there's, there's logic in not having them above us because one team can only fall so far and one team can only jump so far based on where they started the season. Now that's just kind of how it goes. It's not a power ranking. It's not like who is the best team right now. It's a, it's more of a react, not as reactive of that, more predictive, more full body of work. So honestly, I mean, technically they deserve to be ahead of us probably, but there's logic in the reason that they aren't, in my opinion. I could see that. You know, if they take care of business at home against Montana this week, uh, they'll be right there. They just got to keep proving it. And it's there is a, it's a little easier when you start out in the top 25, like Montana State has, in just kind of taking care of business. It's harder to climb up the pole and than it is to, you know, maintain your spot. Yep, I agree with that. And you got to think about it this way. Sac State was picked 11th out of 13th in the preseason Big Sky Conference. All right. All of a sudden, halfway through the season, they're the, what What do you say, they're 15th? That has two FBS losses. So they're, what, four and two with two FBS losses. And they're basically, if you're, what, you're 11th out of 13th in the Big Sky, that means you probably, people pick you around like 80th or 90th overall <laughs> in the country. Like yeah. the 120 some teams because you're, 11th place teams can be better than a lot of the other conferences, but you know, somewhere in the seventies at best. So you've risen from like the seventies or 80th ranked team. If you want to look at like that all the way to the 15th ranked team in like six games, I think that's not crazy. Like that's, that's like pretty impressive. Yeah. They are definitely skyrocketing right now. So definitely a lot of, yeah, I thought they should have been ranked last week. So you know, if it was me voting, I would have had them ahead of us because I would have already had them in the top 25. I would have had us probably around 7 or 8, and I probably would have dropped us to like 15 or 16 and put them at like 12 or 13. That's just my personal thing. But I, like I said, I see if you didn't have them ranked at all, it'd be hard to leapfrog them that high yeah, based on poll logic, based on my poll logic. Nope, uh, I see what you're saying, and I happen to agree with you there. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we're like the most boring podcast, like, I agree. Yes, I also agree. And then we just <laughs> in in the conversation. <laughs> We're like those polite gophers. Remember that old cartoon, like the two polite gophers? I don't even know that one. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm going way back in the memory bank on that one. <laughs> okay. Let's hey, move on. You, yeah, uh did you vote in the Big Sky Power Poll? Man, it was such a big travel day and such a long weekend I just completely even forgot about it. I hate that the fact that we have to have this in by like five PM by Sunday night. I just can't do it half the time. Same here, dude. High fives to you and me. <laughs> we skipped out. I think the <laughs> cats might have fallen further in the power rankings if you and I voted. I'm not entirely sure on that. But <laughs> All right. maybe, maybe it's a blessing they they did, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't even put any thought into it. You know, one thing is like, I think right about now, Monday is when I really get a good feeling of what like how really you felt happened. about it. Yeah. I mean, you ask me Saturday, you're ready to spit fire, right? No, or if we win, we're like, you know, whatever. You know, you take these extremes. Sunday, you, you digest it a little bit. You watch a little bit of NFL. 
And then you talk it through on the text thread with you and me and Shane. And then by by Monday, you know, the, the rankings come out. And I don't get a chance to think about it too much because, you know, I'm in teaching mode at that point. And so by, by tonight, I've listened to Jeff Choate. I got a good feeling about where Montana State is. So speaking of listening to Jeff Choate, his pressure came out today. It was a long one. It was about 30 minutes. He, he started with the renovation news, the $18 million mark that we hit, and what that's going to mean to Montana State. Did you get a chance to listen to that? I listened to the majority of it. I'm not entirely sure where I cut off. I went on a the, – the press wasn't, wasn't on YouTube like it normally is in the afternoon, so I wasn't able to listen to it at work. My evenings are much more busy at home, but I went on a run and I did listen to Coulter's Big Sky Breakdown, Coulter Nuanez, his Big Sky Breakdown on it, Skyline Sports. I don't think I got all the way through it, though. He, like, waffled back and forth between renovation questions and uh, sex day questions. Yeah, it was very disconnected, but... It was. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the renovation first. What does that mean to Montana State right now? I think it's huge because it's even bigger than it was last year because we're trying to, like... Last I feel like two two years ago when it was announced, like that was kind of putting us in the lead. And now with what Eastern has announced, with what Weber has done, and what UC Davis has either announced or done or both, it's like all of a sudden it's not being at the top anymore. It's keeping up with everyone else. So it's absolutely necessary, and it's a huge shot in the arm for the program. Oh, absolutely. In two years, it's going to be done. It's just going to be exciting to see it, to see just like some – progress back there you know in the end zone and it was kind of funny like the juxtaposition of the new buildings and the old buildings when you and i were walking around campus so much of it felt exactly the same or they had just put some new finishings on some old buildings like when we were walking through the sub you and i it was just like this really hasn't changed at all since 2005 and does it need to well i don't really know but you look across the street and you see new buildings like the Norm Ab- Norm. Oh man, I'm gonna, not going to say the last name, right? But the building where the old <laughs> <laughs> the old parking lot. I can't help you because I don't know how to say it either. <laughs> and Ab- Abgerson. No, yeah, I tried. That guy who donated a ton of money and they constructed this beautiful, beautiful building. So what I'm seeing is Montana State kind of feels like this this piecework of old and new. And nothing really in between. So you got like this, well, I shouldn't say that. I guess if you could call the 1990s architecture like this in between. And so you have a little bit of that. So I'm I'm just really excited to see something new going back there. And then to really to showcase what type of university uh, Montana State is. Because it is now the premier university in Montana. They have great enrollment, good research. I mean, why wouldn't you want to go to Montana State, right? And so we need to really invest in our athletics like we have done in other areas. Like I knew that this was definitely a project that was going to benefit more than just the football team, but Jeff Choate really explained it really well, how it will benefit everyone. It was pretty interesting to hear, and it makes you kind of excited for all the other you know programs in the athletic department that will benefit from this. Just Even if they get like an old space that's new to them, as he might say, put some lipstick on that pig and then it's going to be like a brand new little, like your own area. So it's such a shared shuffling area. I didn't know that like shuffle, like transport, like a little weight room every day. Is that what he said? Something like that? Yeah. Some satellite weight room that they have to take 
to and from the field house. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you start thinking logistically how hard they work to make that work. And you're like, why didn't this get done sooner? I mean, Thorny, let's be real. How many times have we heard of facility upgrades from Montana State? And then they come out with some big presentation that drops some big like media event and then nothing happens. <laughs> you know, and they talk about fundraising and we're in the quiet phase, right? <laughs> Let's even go back to the uh, the original stadium renovation plan. I still remember that rendering from like 2009. And like, yeah. what is the only thing we've done is the end zone, right? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. The, like it was gonna, the whole thing was like the bowl in the entire thing, I believe. And it, apparently that's just gone now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, Kane own was referenced in his presser about having multiple iterations of different renderings in his office. One signed yeah. by Jason McIndu <laughs> and saying, this is going to happen, but don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> and Cho said he threw them all away. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. I'm glad for Montana State. It's going to be fun to watch that, and it's so well-deserved. And I'm excited for the players who are going to benefit from it. I feel a little bit bad for the seniors who have been laying the foundation for uh, that to happen. But, it's uh, you know, they'll have their time. They'll be able to come back. They'll be able to walk through those facilities and know that they had a direct hand getting it done yep everyone previously worked hard for it and you know if you're not winning those games in the early 2000s or 2010s then this isn't even on the radar so yeah just kudos to jeff chode i think he was definitely kind of a spark in the whole thing so let's turn our attention into how jeff chode talked about sac state what were your key thoughts when you was listening to him i mean he pretty much summed up how i've kind of felt uh that they had an answer for everything they seemed to be a step ahead of us on every single possible way. They outplayed us at pretty much every position. The guys kind of played flatter than they have in his tenor, tenure there. I mean, that's pretty much everything you got to see, especially feel down on the sidelines. Like, did he get to see it all and feel it all? And I think Jeff Chow pretty much summed it up quite nicely. What, what were your thoughts? He said we got beat up on both sides of the ball. And to me, that's pretty much it. Our line play was... Not good on either side. I think Sac State's offensive line held court against our vaunted defensive line. And boy, did we get, I mean, our offensive line has been solid all season. Gives up how many sacks? Four sacks. Four, yeah. Yeah, it's just, and we had given up, I think, six previously in all games combined. So, yeah, Sac State just, like you said, you said yesterday in a text, you said they played a perfect game. And that just kind of stuck in my belly a little bit. They did play a perfect game. They had an answer for everything we did. That was never really in question for them. But yeah, it was just, it was impressive game for Sacramento State. Yeah, I don't think they could have played probably any better than they did. They were, play calling was great. The execution was great. They didn't make any mistakes except for maybe the Kevin Thompson, he underthrew his receiver in the end zone that Tyrell Thomas was able to pick off. I mean, that might be the only mistake you can really point to like they just completely manhandled us and played um even the colin who runs the hornet house the guy we had on last week i saw a tweet of his that said like holy cow i've never seen sac state play state play this good before i mean there you go like even a sac state fan thinks they're playing out of their mind so i think they pretty much played a perfect game i don't think the bobcats played necessarily an awful game but you can't play a mediocre game against a good opponent who's playing a great game and expect to win 
No, I think the Bobcats had some self-inflicted wounds. I don't oh, feel like sure. they got dominated. And there's some bright spots to be looking at if you're a Montana State. Uh, Jeff Choke comes out. The very first thing he says about the game is Tucker Rovig had his best game. Did that like strike you as surprising or do you agree <laughs> it, with that? It would strike you as surprising if you read Bobcat Nation that somebody <laughs> somebody thought Tucker Rovig played pretty good. I didn't think he played that bad personally. Like There were some drops and some – I mean, he definitely had some bad throws, but – you could say that the interception was partially his fault because he held on to it too long in the face of pressure. But, you know, I'm I'm applauding the guy for trying to make a play personally. Like that's just, he's trying to be more aggressive. I thought he played more confidently. I thought he drove the ball. I mean, yeah, he's still missing some throws here and there, but that, I overall I, th- I saw improvement. Maybe it was his best game in terms of like just taking command and trying to lead the team to a victory. You know, there's still a long ways to go, but I mean, I I won't necessarily disagree with that. That was a quality opponent. He made some good plays, and I think it's probably more impressive than throwing for 300 yards against you know the weak opponents we had been. He had been succeeding in the past. So, what what are your thoughts on that? Statistically, it's not his best game. Uh, intangibly, I think it might have been. And it's so funny because you and I, and we're not going to mention it, but we were around a couple media people who are just like, man. <laughs> like Tuckerovic is is not the answer. I find a little bit of pause in that because I thought he did pretty good for the most part. I mean, he had 263 yards. I mean, he had that one interception. George Obina hit his uh, elbow in the throwing motion as he was uh, looking downfield. As Tuckerovic stepped up in the pocket and then sidestepped to avoid it. I thought his pocket presence was actually pretty good. Yeah, right. You know, and uh, so he missed a he missed his very first pass of the game to Kevin Cassis, just heated one over his head, and then a couple in the second half. I remember one to Travis Johnson specifically, where if he hits him in stride, TJ takes it to the house. Perhaps I mean he had that much room. It was a slant about fifteen yards downfield, and he just put it behind him. And that is a pass uh, Tuckerovic has struggled with. So. You know, if he can work work that out. But, you know, watching him run the two-minute drill in the end, and some of those balls he uh, put over when we were standing close to the end zone, hey, he's throwing a nice ball. Like, I don't see what people are just really complaining about really right now. I'm wondering if they're just, like, wanting Tukarovic to take over the game before they can anoint him as, you know, a formidable uh, quarterback. I think people are just so sick of – Watching other teams in the big sky have prolific passing attacks. And under Jeff Choate, we've just had subpar quarterback play pretty much the entire time. You can point to maybe a couple of Chris Murray games and a couple of Tucker Rovig games against like the inf- inferior opponents. But other than that, it's, it's pretty much been subpar compared to the rest of the league. Like you see like a bad team like Northern Colorado have a quarterback like Jacob Nip who can just tear it up when he has a good day. And it's like, I think people just get jealous of that and to see like how can montana state not get something like that and that's not a wrong way to look at it i just think when you're so blinded by that you kind of don't really see the what positives he is making and i think like i during the game i was thinking i bet jeff choate is actually fairly pleased with with his play and he comes out and says that in the press conference so so we're, we're praising him here a little bit but by no means are we happy with the quarterback play at least me personally i'm not uh 
I don't think any Bobcat fans are happy with the, the situation, but I don't think it's as dumpster fire as some people say. And I think there is plenty of room for growth for Tucker Rovig. And I think, I don't know where his ceiling is, but I know it's higher than how he's currently playing. And there's just, there it just isn't any easy button. You just can't just abandon what he's done and the progress he's made, especially when the bye week now he has some time to fix things moving forward and come out against a decent North Dakota squad and see what he's made of after he's had a couple of weeks to reflect and kind of tweak his game and keep moving forward. So I, I think we've got to keep moving with them. He's got a lot of room to grow. He's got a lot of things to work on, but he's making improvement and that's just what you want to see. You just want to see him get better. And that's just my take on it. I think two things that stick out to me, Thorny is our tendencies. And Jeff Chilt went out of his way to talk about how they're going to use this week as a self-scouting period. And they're showing a lot of tendencies and it's clearly coming up in the offensive scheme. That's harder for me to notice on the defensive scheme. But when we run our plus one run game, right? It's pretty much the same play over and over again. Troy Anderson or Tucker, excuse me, uh, Travis Johnson or will either pitch it or hold it or take it or whatever they do on that play. But it's pretty much the same same thing. And what I'm thinking about in terms of Tucker Rovig is when you get him a couple passes in there and then you bring in the plus run game and then you split him out, man, you're kind of really negating him to getting on a roll. So I start thinking, like, well, why can't we just have uh, – why can't he run that same play? I mean, he's not a prolific runner but he can surely hand it off to Travis Johnson. He can surely hand it off to Troy Anderson, and he could surely pull it. Honestly, if Rovick was under center running a zone read and you had, like, Troy Anderson behind him, the defense might key on Troy Anderson, but Rovick will get you, like, five, six yards. Yeah. Like, he's not slow. I mean, honestly, that situation is much more preferable than everyone knows Johnson's going to run the ball, and they key on that, and then Johnson gets stuffed for no gain. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I agree with that. Like, I've been thinking, like, why can't Rovig basically be in there? You get Johnson and or Anderson back there behind him on a few plays and do something creative that way, but not have Tucker Rovig lined out in the receiver where he's absolutely going to do nothing. Like, I don't really under, understand that. Some people think that's because so he can just run back in the huddle. They don't have to sub out. Therefore, the defense isn't going to sub. But it's weird. It takes him out of the play more so than if, if he was under center. The cornerback like blitzed from the spot half the time that he was covering Rovig. It was just a weird thing, and I don't really like it. <laughs> no, we just need to be more unpredictable in our offensive plays. I mean, you and I, every Bobcat fan who watches this, seems to know what's coming when we <laughs> when we line yep. up with uh, Troy Anderson or Travis Johnson back there. You know what? And it's worked for by and large. But then we run up against a, a team like Sac State who has apparently like almost an elite line play and we can't we can't do this you know it, we are not the prolific run team that we once were and so it's to me it's very predictable and then you know it's this copycat league right so what's north dakota gonna do well i'm pretty sure they're looking at the tape that we just got done with they're gonna be keying in on what sac state was doing to so i know we're gonna be working for sure do you think this was kind of a case of the coaching staff getting a little overconfident in the in the kind of the mentality of, yeah, they know what's coming, but try and stop us. Do you think that factored into it at all? I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of that in there. 
Like maybe I they knew it, they were having some tendencies, but like, hey, this is who we are. Teams know who we are. They can't stop us anyway. I don't know if that factored into or not. <laughs> just something I'm just throwing out into the stratosphere. Yeah, yeah, this certainly could. You know, we talked about Matt Miller and his progression as an offensive coordinator. Maybe we were wrong a little on Matt Miller. I mean, he's come out with some stuff, but I don't feel like we're seeing any new wrinkles from week in to week out. I'm not sure we're wrong about him, but I definitely feel like this may have been like a rookie mistake. Like, okay, actually he is, he still has a lot to learn and it showed here today when he got completely outcoached, by my opinion, by Andy Thompson, the defensive coordinator for Sac State, and even Kay Nyon, who's still in his first year truly running the show on defense, got, uh, I hate to say it, completely outcoached by Troy Taylor, who was just two steps ahead of him the whole game, had something dialed up for anything that we were even thinking about doing. How pretty was Sac State's offense? It was, like, frustratingly pretty. Like, they were executing at such a high level, but it was nothing. They weren't trying to score the big play. They were just trying to set up the big play. Like, that's kind of exactly what we want to do. They're not a team that's going to hit home runs, at least maybe not the defense that we schemed up for them, but they were taking what we gave them. They were exploiting what they saw weaknesses-wise, and then they just started seeing us bite on stuff is when they hit us over the top. But part of that is not only Troy Taylor, who is, I think, uh, after watching this game, the hype is real. He's an amazing coach and an offensive play caller. A lot of that is also having a veteran quarterback like Tevin, Kevin Thompson who can just see those little tiny things that you're not going to be able to see as a freshman, sophomore, maybe even a junior. He's just seen a lot of football. Kevin Thompson was 23 for 30 for 260 yards, three touchdown passes in two rushing teams. So he, he alone accounted for five touchdowns, carried 11 carries for 74 yards. That guy just owned the day, completely owned the day. And he was getting the ball out so fast. We had no time to even get to him. I mean, when I got to rewatch the game, when I got back home, they were playing on SWX. I was specifically watching our line. Man, not once. I don't even feel like we hurried him. Maybe once or no. twice. No, he was under no pressure. Oh, geez. I mean, ah, man. And then his just running ability. He was running power on us. He was running the same Troy Anderson play to the left <laughs> that, that we bludgeoned teams with for a year and a half now and he was just ramming it down our throats and then when he wasn't Elijah Dotson was it was just really impressive by Sac State holy cow I'm really impressed by Kevin Thompson he was granted two years of extra eligibility I know next year it'll be like his what seventh year yeah oh my like gosh. a freshman at 2014 or something like at uh, <laughs> UNLV or whatever like Nevada. halfway through his grad degree right now it's just I'm <laughs> super impressed by him and uh and just his cerebral play. Wow. What a what a gamer. What a gamer. No, he's pretty much everything I think Jeff Trout wants in a quarterback. A guy who makes good decisions, get the ball out quickly, and who adds a huge element to the plus one game. Like, what else? That's like if Jeff Trout were to, like, design a quarterback in a lab, I think it'd pretty sure it'd be Kevin Thompson. Oh, yeah. I wish we ran that offense. That offense is great. One thing I really liked about their offense was how they u- utilized Elijah Dotson. I mean the traditional run through the tackles, but they also got him in space. Uh, when we were playing man, they would rub him off a pick. And then, you know, I remember one play we were have like a third and long and he picks it up just on that play or they would, you know, leak him out on the side and just dump it off to him and with elite speed. And gosh, that guy was so good. And the cats did a really good job. A lot of the time 
bottling up their run game. What was so frustrating for me was the Cats did so well on like downs one and two in some of those series where we would we would shoot the gap and like Conkle would get a tackle on the back or and behind or tackle for loss. And then we would get them like third and eight, third and nine, third and ten. And man, they would just hit for so many of those. They were nine out of thirteen on third down. We were four for fifteen on third down, still last in the league. Man, we have to get better going into the second half of the season on third down. Absolutely. That was our Achilles heel last year. It's popped up a few times this year, but overall it's been much cleaned up. But you know, this is a team that completely exposed us on that. But let's not kid ourselves here. Sac State was like top ten, I think, in the country in third down conversion percentage where they played us. So it's not like this is some sort of anomaly where we let a team just do this and they don't do it. Like this is what they do. I thought <laughs> I thought they were really clever in they'd get themselves a first down play, it was a run play, we'd stuff it. So instead of trying to get it all back, they would go for a five yard, six yard hook pattern over the middle and just take the five yards and get them something third and five because they knew they could get that. I thought that was something they did really well is just take little plays to get themselves into third and manageable, as they say. Yeah, they just seemingly had an answer for everything we were throwing at them. So, And they I also had a short field all day long, and that was yeah. pretty frustrating too. Good point, good point. What did you think of that, uh, what was it, our second drive where we went for it on, like, on our own 30-yard line or 35-yard line or whatever it was, and it was a really weird fourth down play, some sort of swinging gate option thingy with Travis Johnson that got completely destroyed? What do you think of that play call? <laughs> what do you think of the decision, number one, and number two, what do you think of the actual play call itself? Well, uh, number 10 was taking the snap, so he was going to take the handoff, and he had a chance to option it out to, I think it was Logan Jones. Uh, don't quote me on that. I think it was just a solid play by the linebacker for Sac State who shot the gap and just took him down. I mean, it was it's kind of embarrassing if we can't get one yard when we need one yard. Or I don't know what it was. It was probably short yardage, right, if we're going for it on fourth down. I think it was fourth and one, maybe fourth and two, but yeah, real, you know, real short. I, I like the, the, um, the mentality because we were moving the ball in the first half. The first half was a really evenly matched game in my, my opinion, and so I didn't feel like we weren't going to get that. It was shocking to me that they took it out, but then it just proved that over and over again that they had answers for those kind of plays you know and that's that goes back to what jeff Choate was talking about tendencies right how how often are we running that same play when travis johnson is back there i mean how often is that on has he ever pitched the ball has he ever (laughs) pitched it once i know he's he's handed it off a few times or like on his own read but i don't think he's ever actually pitched it when he's had a pitch man i can't recall so we have to get more creative with our plus one run game that's one of the key thoughts i wrote down in my note we are way too predictable and that was the same thing that happened last year this was the same gripe i had last year with the troy anderson offense like okay troy's gonna pull it cool troy's gonna pull it again you know and it got us okay but like we had these miracle plays that happened to get us into the playoffs and then we beat up on a weak incarnate word but then we go to NDSU and we can't pass the ball we can't do anything we can just run that same play over and over again and guess what we just got our asses kicked we cannot continue to run that same play over and over again there has to be a different wrinkle in that and it's not just giving it to Kevin Cassis to try to throw it downfield because that one's on tape too a lot turns out and we 
I'm a little bit frustrated with Matt Miller and his play calling right now. Like we have to figure out some new wrinkles if we're going to continue to run this hybrid quarterback system that we have. And that's why I think Tucker Rovig presents us such a better option. If you put a diamond formation back there with Tucker Rovig, Troy Anderson, and Troy Johnson, and Logan Jones, I mean, and then you get creative out of that, well, then that's something we haven't seen. But for just Travis Johnson to line back up, take the snap, clap his hands, get the ball, and run right behind Lewis Kidd or Mitch Brott, you know, it's like, okay, we've seen it coming. And guess what? So has the defense. And so no matter how good those two uh, offensive linemen are and Travis Johnson, it's just not breaking like we've seen. I mean, when's the last time we've broke one for a touchdown, Thorny? The uh, the zone read quarterback yeah. play? When's I the mean, last I, time we broke one for a touchdown? Johnson hasn't completely broken one for a big touchdown like Troy Anderson did last year, but it's been plenty effective. We're, and honestly, some, in some ways, it's good that we're not as ridiculously explosive because <laughs> that was our offense last year, right? It was either a Troy Anderson's six-year touchdown run or it was a three and out. So at least we're a little bit more consistent. Like our first downs this year have to be way up. But to your point, uh, I don't recall one. This year, perhaps, I'm sure there has been one or two. Maybe the SEMO game when Troy Anderson had the ball, but Travis Johnson certainly hasn't busted one, but he's capable of it. Yeah, but he, he hasn't, has he? The, nope, the one, he's, yeah. he's, been, he's been getting a lot of yards. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but no, he, to your point, no, he hasn't busted one. Okay. Well, let me ask you a question, Tony. Did we get exposed? In every facet, yes. <laughs> I think I think quite literally our offensive play calling, our defensive play calling, our offensive line, our defensive line. I thought our actually our defensive backs played decent. They were just one step behind, but that's more schematically, I think it was, than anything they were doing necessarily. Uh, yeah, I'd say we got exposed, for sure. How about you? I can't argue with any of that. Kevin Cass has said in the post game, he goes, maybe it's good. Maybe it's good we got exposed. And you know what? I think I kind of agree with you. In, in a weird way, kind of to circle back to something I thought about earlier that has something to kind of do with what you just said. We scored that last touchdown right before halftime to make it 21-14. I actually had the thought, like, I don't know if we should have scored that touchdown because this is closer than we've been at halftime the last few games. So now we're going to think it's a little too easy to come back. <laughs> it's like, it's like we probably have more fire in our belly if we were down 21 to seven than if we were 21 to 14. <laughs> I don't know if that's, that might be an absolute ridiculous take on that, but it's something that popped in my mind talking about like, maybe it's a good thing we got exposed because I think we were kind of, okay, we're down, whatever. We're always down. We got this, but Finally, we don't got this. <laughs> we didn't have it. So <laughs> uh, maybe it is a good thing. People are kind of freaking out, but five and two heading the bye week is not a bad spot to be. We're still ranked 12th in the country. We're five and two. We control our own destiny. I don't see how this is like, it's a bad thing. We should have won the game. It would have been a great thing to win, but it's not the end of the season. It's not throwing a towel and it's not throw the offense out. It's the, it's not throw the baby out with the bathwater type situation, in my opinion. No. Not at all. There's a lot to be proud of if you're a Montana State Bobcat right now. But yeah, it's definitely a sadder Saturday night than I would have liked in Bozeman for my first trip back in six years. But hey, I still had a good time. <laughs> you were. You were you were like silent grumpy, man. You, were, you like needed a hug, you know, like a deep hug or something. Or just a nice big beer. You had, I'm sure you had plenty of those. Later. I did later. <laughs> oh, all right, man. Well. We're staring the 
the bye week straight in the face right now. What's Jeff Choate doing right now? I think you nailed it. He's trying to figure out how to be more, or I'm sorry, less predictable, more creative. I think that's one of the biggest things he has to be working on. And I think he has to be really considering how he's managing Tucker Rovig. If he wants a guy in there who's going to throw the ball, you can't be taking him out half the time. So I think he's, and he's talked about this earlier in a press conference weeks ago about just making sure that they're managing that correctly. If they're going to do this weird platooning quarterback wildcat thing, I'm not sure they're managing it effectively just now. So I think they're really evaluating what they're going to try and do offensively. It's such a weird thing because literally no other team I know in football is doing what we're trying to do. It is like a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, are we creating a new offense? And it is kind of like we are creating this new offense. I don't know if anybody's going to copy it because <laughs> it's like, uh, I mean, so, okay, let's say Tucker Rovig was some prolific passer or just whatever, you know, let's just say he's just another step above where he is now and he's gotten to that spot, which I think he can actually. And that's a different time uh, for a different conversation. However, do we, I mean, are we still running the same system? Are we still trotting Troy Anderson and Travis Johnson out there? I don't I think, think so. I think so, but I think it's much less frequent. Okay. All right. I can see both ways. I can see us being just more traditional and then relying on a run game a little bit more. Like see, the Wildcat thing should be getting like 10 snaps a game. Well, you know, if they're going to run Travis Johnson, the Wildcat, let's look at some uh, Tim Tebow highlights. Let's contemplate the fourth quarter red zone. We're down at two-yard line. Let's contemplate that for a moment. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. I had meant to talk about that. <laughs> okay. Tucker Rovig hits a deep ball to Kevin Cassis. Cassis makes a spectacular catch. And then we get down there, four plays, uh, first and goal from the two, from the three, somewhere in there, right? We don't get it in. First play, what what happened first play? Thorny, help me out on this one. Is that the one where they had the illegal substitution? Where we did? No. Where Sac State did, where we. Tuckerovic throws a dime to Kevin, or not Kevin Cassis. Okay, so that, yeah, that's the one that, uh, are you talking about the, the one with all the flags and the substitution penalty? Yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. So yeah, that was the one, that was actually Travis Johnson who made like a one-handed, one-armed catch because he's being held in the end zone, but the whole play didn't count because that was the weirdest refereed play ever. But yeah, that, so we ended up with first and goal from like the two because of that. I don't remember if that play itself was the first play or not. I don't remember the circumstances leading up to that touchdown throw that was wiped off the board. Okay, so uh, I don't I don't want to just rehash every play down there. What my point was was getting to this is so let's uh, let's line up Travis Johnson, which we did like third or fourth down, and let's say he fakes the the run and everybody crashes down. And what if we leak R.J. Fitzgerald just on the backside of the backers right there? He pulls it out and just does a jump pass to him. I mean, why haven't we even seen that or considered that? At this point, I mean, that seems to be like an obvious play. And Travis Johnson, being a former quarterback, I mean, we just got to try some some stuff there. So I'm just no, I, I can see, I could certainly see some new wrinkles being put in the offense in the bye week, kind of like you're saying. Like, I was thinking about this. Like, there were some really nice plays that Sac State had where they leaked a running back out of the backfield, like a – what do they call it? The wheel route. And he was like wide open. When's the last time the Bobcats had a guy so wide open that you couldn't even miss it? I guess there was a couple this year where 
Rovick threw a guy. I think Bauman hit Coy Steele pretty open in Texas Tech, and I think Rovick hit a pretty guy wide open in Norfolk. But other than that, it's like every other team seems to be able to get a guy wide open and throw it to him. What's going on? Yeah, we should do some wheel wheel routes. Go back to look at Tim Cramsey's offense, right? I mean, that was a staple. That was a staple, <laughs> man. Prukop to Sean Johnson. Right? Like Or Gunnar Brecky, right? Just get a little speedy white running backs in uh, space and just let them have some <laughs> get, pass them the ball for five to 10 yards and just let them make some mood. Yeah. Ah, all right. Let's keep going. So Thorny, as, uh, as we're looking into this bye week, you know, we're going to look, uh, Jeff Choate said he's going to work on fixing the tendencies. Is there anything else that you're hoping for during this bye? Week? I'm trying to think like defensively what I'm hoping for. Maybe uh, again, maybe a little bit less tendencies as Jeff Choate picked up. Or said in the press conference that teams realize they're playing a lot of man on like third down, so maybe just get a little more creative on that side. Other than that, I think the defense is playing pretty good. I don't think they're as elite as maybe maybe we hoped, but they're certainly, I think, playing good enough to win football games for us. So I'm not sure what to do to really focus on the defensive side of the ball. Do you, is there anything there that you see that we could really improve on and we could really work on in the bye week that's going to help us out moving forward? Disguising some new coverages or disguising our same coverages is something that's probably going to be something they'll, they'll work on. Yeah, where are the, all the blitzes? Like, I, I Jeff Trott specifically mentioned against Sac State that they didn't blitz a whole lot because they'd seen other teams get gashed. When you blitz, they hit, like, Dodson for a little screen pass, and they and Dodson didn't really get the screen game going so much, but I would like to see some more blitz. I'd like to see us be a little more aggressive and try and force some um, interceptions or some mistakes. If we're just, if we can't get home with the front four, it seems like we don't, try and send anyone else and then that's just what it is for the rest of the game yeah jeff Jolton mentioned as well that we're lacking making in-game adjustments right away he says we were making adjustments but they were like three series too late we need to be better at making in-game adjustments quicker oh for sure but again that goes back to just the staff at sac state was great they they had a great game plan they saw everything yes they need to make in-game adjustments faster but like this is kind of an anomaly a little bit in that area, but it's an elite team and that's, we're going to face some other elite teams. So yes, definitely got to work on that. Gotcha. But probably the number one thing I'm looking forward to is honestly just getting healthier in some key spots that have been, I mean, we're five and two without really Isaiah Alfonso ever hardly playing a game since, oh, when, did, when did he go out? Was it Western Illinois? I don't remember. Or it was before that. It was like SEMO. Gosh, he's been so spotty. <laughs> I can't even remember now. He's hardly played. Trey Anderson is still obviously hobbled. We finally got Munchie back, but he is still working back into it. So it's just going to be good to get some some guys back fully healthy. I think that's one of the things um, that will help us probably more than anything is just getting some dudes back. Yeah, five weeks are always good for that. Hopefully two weeks is enough. All right. Well, I think that's enough to talk about bye week in the Sac State game. We're pushing an hour already. Let's move on to our next segment. What do you got? You want to do some buy or sell right now? Hit me. Okay, Thorny, buy or sell. Sac State is the most balanced team in the big sky. Well, that's hard to say because I didn't think their running game was all that stellar, but I don't know I don't know how they've been doing in other games, but they got to be up there, I'd imagine. I don't know what their play calling is, but yeah, I would I would buy it, I guess, because I don't know any better. It's a buy. Who are you thinking that they might be compared to that might usurp them there? Well, like I have no idea. I'm just saying I don't know any better. <laughs> Like maybe, okay. I don't know if the Grizz are more balanced than that? Question mark. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a good game this weekend. All right. 
According to buyer sell, the cats have peaked offensively. Sell that hard because I think Rovic has a lot of room for improvement. And we get Isaiah and Fonse back at some point, question mark. Okay. So yeah, I'm selling that. Buy or sell, Thorny, last one. Cats are a playoff team. I'm still buying that. Like I'm not that down about this loss as some other people are. It's going to be close, like I said in the last episode. If we lose the last two in a row, sitting at eight and four, or even if we can take care of the next three, that's going to be close. But yeah, I'm going to buy that. All right, buddy. You're off the hot seat. Fully. Buy or sell, Sac State is the most balanced team in the big sky. I couldn't have been more impressed with the Sac State. I have to buy that. I think their D-line was just amazing. I can't, I couldn't remember Georgia Bina from last year. But man, that guy was one of the coolest players I've watched live. I thought Kevin Thompson was the real deal. I thought Elijah Dotson was the real deal. Their receivers made these one-hand grabs. Man, it just maybe it was just a game, but they looked legit all the way around. Uh, let's see. Uh, number two. By ourselves, the Cats have peaked offensively. I really thought about this one. Uh, this is a, you said you sell this hard. I, I'm going to slightly sell this. I haven't seen much from Matt Miller to prove to me wrong, but besides Choate saying that we need to improve on our tendencies, and so I think he's going to force the hand right there. So have we peaked offensively? Uh, I'm going to sell. Uh, Tucker Rovick's going to have to improve a little bit. And we're gonna have to get more creative on off. And the last one, Cats are a playoff team. I'm still buying. I'm still buying. And we we win the next three games easily. We're in. We're in. Even if we lose to Davis and the Grizz thereafter. So uh, that's what I got. So you and I again, carbon copies of each other. Classic. Yeah. Classic R and R cat cast. We don't agree all the time, but when it comes to buy or sell, you and I seem to take sides. Right? <laughs> there we go. All right, so bold predictions from last week. I predicted, <laughs> I'm already laughing, <laughs> that we would have three sacks. I don't even think we touched him. <laughs> we we had zero sacks. So that, I don't think we had three quarterback hurries, like you said. Oh, my gosh. You and I both had that same prediction, and then I, I talked first, so I took it. But we were so off. Oh, my word. So, okay. What was your thorny? I think it was that we'd hold them under 425 yards. I can't remember if it was 450 or 425. Either way, I was correct, but who gives a damn? <laughs> yeah. They don't Sack need 400 yards when they start on the our 40-yard line the whole time. Good point. That's a really good point. <laughs> Thorny, <laughs> just for fun, do you have a bold prediction for the bye week? No. I was trying to come up with something funny, but I got nothing. I think my blood pressure is going to lower. That's that's the only bold prediction I'm going to put. My bold prediction is that, oh, this isn't bold at all, but Bobcat Nation just can, cannibalizes itself over the next two weeks. Oh, my gosh. It is uh, it is hot garbage <laughs> over there right now. By the way, a little little shout-out to K-Max. Uh, it was really good meeting K-Max at his uh, tailgate, and uh, thanks for the tacos, man. That was great. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for uh, putting up with us for a little bit. <laughs> that's all I got, Thorny. Oh, we got a golden koozie question, though. We do, and we kind of answered it. It was from BPCats20. I'm not looking at the question. I shouldn't be talking before I'm looking at it. Based on Choate's interview today, which he asked us like two weeks or like last week, but we had already uh, started recording, so we didn't get it. So this is before the Sac State game. Based on Choate's interview today, it almost sounds like Sacramento State is performing exactly how Choate wishes our offense and defense was. 
what's our take? Well, I will agree with that 100%. I think, like I said, I think Kevin Thompson's a quarterback. He would create out of thin air if he could create a quarterback. I think they played physical. I think they played tough, and I think they played smart play calling and balanced, as Foley said. So, yeah, pretty sure Sac State is just, like I said, uh, on Twitter, under the, our account, I think they're beating us at our own game, and I, I believe that. So, yes, I, I would say yes to that question. Yeah, I would agree specifically with the offense. I thought Sac State's offense would, they had a mix of power. They had a mix of quick passing game. They got their running backs in space and utilized that and even pressed the ball down the field. I, it was beautiful to watch. I think that's the exact offense that we would like to run. But I think if we took Sac State's offense, I think we would run power just a little bit more. But, man, Troy Taylor just called an amazing game. I think we can look at that and learn. Agreed. So good question, <laughs> BP Cats. That's uh, our Golden Koozie winner. Congratulations. Woo! BP Cats, get to us, man. Send me your, uh, or send Thorny or I your, your contact info, and I got a Golden Koozie coming your way, buddy. Congratulations. It was Hashtag fun handing some of those gold. out at the tailgates, too. <laughs> I know. People's faces just light up. It was great. Although some of them didn't had no clue. They're like, oh, what do you guys do? They're like, yep, we run a podcast. Listen to us. There you go. <laughs> That's a perfect right. segue into telling uh, you, you guys to subscribe to our show, to listen, or you do listen. Thank you for listening. But tell your friends, uh, leave us some reviews here and there. Answer the Golden Coos and questions on Popcat Nation on Twitter. We just appreciate you guys listening. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of fun to meet some of the guys. We met some other people from the board. Uh, the tailgates too. That's a lot of fun. So it was, it was a fun weekend. Thank you guys for listening. And all right, well, let's end this bad boy. Let's say go cats. Go cats. <laughs> <laughs>